Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in the CIM Marketing Podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the companies they work for. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about a very exciting topic, humanizing your brand. And with us today to discuss this is Richard Gillingwater, who is founder of Rad and B. Hi, Richard. How are you? Very well, Ben, and lovely to be here. Great to have you on the show. And making her third or fourth appearance, the great Natalie Spearing, who is marketing director of CIM itself at Moore Hall. How are you, Natalie? I'm very well, Ben. Thank you very much. Looking forward to the discussion. Should be a fascinating discussion and a tough one to get our head around, but I'm pretty sure that Richard, who is expert in this area, is going to help us. So, Richard, tell us a little bit about what you mean about humanising your brand and how we might go about doing it. Well, Ben, everybody in our industry wants to create an emotional connection with their audience. They want to connect at a deeper level, tell their story in a more powerful, relevant way to the needs of the audience. And so what they're trying to do is make it as easy as possible for people to understand what they're trying to say, say in a way that's relevant to them in an interesting and dynamic way. And really at the heart of all of this is how we use these archetypal tones and these underlying patterns within communication to make it more emotionally engaging, make it more authentic and more relevant to the needs of the audience. When you're trying to teach people how to do that, what are the techniques you use? What are the factors that lead to us being able to humanise, as you put it, our brand? The listeners may have heard of the term archetypes, but I want to try and get them to bin what they may have uh, thought or believed about archetypes. So archetypes in the past have been something that's this um, character, this single set of tone of voice. Brands now use blends of multiple archetypal tones at different stages. So at one point in their advertising, they could actually blend two or three different archetypal tones to make what they're saying interesting and relevant. But then later in the website, they'll talk about another set of tones. And it's really about how these brands are blending these to create a, a, a unifying personality, but one that's interesting, that's got depth. Because at the end of the day, Ben, we are human. We have multiple needs. There's multiple aspects to us. And brands that reflect that in their communication, in the way they speak, then speak to us. And more importantly, people can actually tune in to the bit that's most relevant to them. If you're just saying one thing in one tone, it becomes boring. Really, really interesting, isn't it? You're using this phraseology, humanising your brand. It almost sounds like a truism to say, it, but it's a great frame. You are talking about making brands more human. And humans have moods. They have different personalities on different days of the week. They are liked by some people and disliked by others. Other people's perceptions of us differ from another person's perception of us. And that's what you're trying to get to and away from this sort of single solid archetype personality that is our brand and is only one thing you're saying that it's, we are many things and we need to know how to apply them totally it, it's all about engagement it's all about that connection it's all about telling your story that's richer tell me a movie where it's got one character 
the structure of narrative is actually about blending opposing needs. So the most classic thing that lots of organizations will say is we make the complex simple. But that's two opposing needs. And, and to actually bring that to life, you've got to explain the concept of complexity. And then you've got to explain the concept of simplicity. And that requires two archetypal tones. And, and that's what you start to blend. But then you go beyond that because then you want to start bringing in caring. If we look at the recent um, Lloyd's campaign with the horse and, and by your side, that's blending an awful lot. That's blending the guardian and the companion and the guide. So you've got this amazing richness and depth. And what that means is if somebody wants more of a guardian aspect, they tune into that. They naturally do that themselves. And it, therefore, the brand resonates really well. Whereas somebody who wants more the guide, that will resonate for them. They, they will pick and mix. This is a buffet that people come and choose to what they want to eat, as opposed to the old way, which was what you served up and just presented to them. And if they didn't like it, they moved on. This is about narrative. It's about storytelling. It's about engaging. It's about richness and depth that actually make people feel the anthropomorphic nature that you're more connected to this brand. That is mind blowing for some marketers who or people who work for marketers uh, who are used to a solid strict brand guideline. You're trying to move away from that to create a mood, a brand, a blend, if you like. Ben, ben, ben the truth is nobody does that single thing. Right. I have not mapped a single brand that ble that does that. Right. They may say, oh, our personality is this and we're fixed. But then you see that they actually do it in multiple ways because the need demands it, the product demands it, the audience type demands it, the channel demands it, that you filter it, that you edit it, that you change it to that appropriate thing. So nobody does it. It's just a reality. We're, we're throwing away the shackles, removing the handcuffs, trying to present ourselves in a multifaceted, more human and humane way. How on earth do we communicate that to our teams, Natalie Spearing? Oh, God, I don't even know where to start. Um, absolutely right. And it's the kind of reason, as I um, alluded to, I think, where I actually looked at this on a, a Sunday afternoon, uh, came up on my LinkedIn feed and I thought, oh, my goodness, finally, somebody has actually articulated what I've been thinking for probably the last 20 or 30 years and probably more, I suppose, more recently, the last sort of 10 years where, as, as Rich was saying, you know, we we have reached a point where the storytelling piece has become even more important, how we tell it in multiple different channels our personalization elements of what we need to do, obviously, when we're talking to our customers. So it's that kind of idea of blending rather than this singularity. And I think that's been one of the most difficult things for marketing departments to kind of get their heads around. And, I, you know, I've, I've presided over some huge uh, brands, I suppose, over my career where I've had to build brand guidelines. And what's always fascinated me is almost there's one page that's got tone of voice and everything else is about, you know, the, 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 the font and the colours and, you know, all of the other stuff that kind of makes up the brand. But we're, we're almost a little bit afraid of it 
Um, and I think it's it's that singularity piece where we've struggled to if we're talking to a younger audience or we're talking to an older audience or if we're talking to, you know, a female audience, or whatever. Oh, we just need to kind of slightly amplify what we're saying here or dial it up or dial it down. And I think actually when I read through the the um, research that had gone into this, obviously that, that Rich did with Imperial, I it just kind of a little light bulb kind of went off in my head and I was just absolutely fascinated by it. And I think the the broader kind of questions then start to come out around how do you use it? How do you bring that to life? You know, how do you articulate that within an organisation where lots of people are working on different types of communication? But I kind of had to part that and just kind of embrace the moment and realise that there is a different way um, of us being able to just capture it. Um, so that's kind of for me was the start point and the start point of the the discussions really with with Rich and understanding this world a bit more. Natalie, I'm glad you said that. It just made sense to you because it's taken three years to build this database. And, and as we did that, we offered to marketing managers around the world, as I've spoken to everybody from the head of PepsiCo to um, local building societies, they all said, what you've done, Richard, is explain to us what we inherently knew but couldn't describe. Yeah. you actually given us the language to actually understand that. And, and it's really interesting because language is the greatest barrier to actually using the concept of archetypes because mm. words can mean anything. We can talk about the word of safety or, or truth or trust, but it means a million things. And what we've actually done in our database is built a base around feeling, how it makes you feel. And, and the critical elements within what, what Carl Jung called a feeling tone with archetypes is that there's three important aspects. There's the narrative, there's the thought, there's the embodied emotion, which comes from the gut and the heart and then floods the brain and changes our neural connections and the narratives that formed. But it's also actions. It's the body. And what we actually now know as archetypes are not these characters, but there are archetypal patterns of thoughts, emotions and actions, which when they align, create this symmetry, create this synergy, which actually is fundamental to brands because that whole idea of cognitive ease is when it's easy to understand, when what you say just aligns in people. And what happens is archetypes help us align thought, emotion and action, i.e. the imagery, the sound that we're hearing, the words that's on the page. So that when we actually align what's been said with what we see, we, we are at cognitive ease. And that is then becomes really powerful because it opens us up. And all the research shows that we're more likely to buy from brands that we feel easy at, we'll digest it. What they all have to avoid is disconnect, where you're choosing the wrong blend. It just jars and that creates disconnect in terms of this cognitive ease. You just don't feel it at ease with the brand. You feel like you're having to work too hard. And we know that turns people off. Potentially, Natalie, it's going to make marketing a much more creative and interesting pursuit to frame it in this way. It's the difference between giving a person a bunch of ingredients in a great kitchen and say, go and make something delicious versus having them stick to a rigorous recipe that somebody else has laid down for them. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple of things in there that, that are really interesting. So I think it creates, for me, it creates a massive opportunity. So I think Richard picked up on the idea that we tend to get into fairly rigid patterns. And I think that is absolutely true. And I think looking at looking at our own kind of mapping and, and uh, some of the stuff that you kind of did for us, I think that that automatically kind of jumped out to me where it was potentially safe space. And I think what, what tends to happen in the safe space is that everybody does the safe space and then you end up in a, an area where you're cancelling each other out. So you're, you're, you're almost all having the same conversation in the same way, using the same imagery. You know, we, we've, we've kind of, I suppose, again, we've got into that as a um, a fast way of getting uh, creative out. Everybody's using, you know, stock the same stock libraries, using the same imagery. And so it tends to then that create creativity is kind of, again, very diminished in that conversation. So I think this gives you a, um, a really good visual insight into that. Um, so it's really easy to see and easy to share and, and actually gives you a really good way of being able to almost set the dial and show how you're moving the dial as well. So in terms of that kind of measurement, you know, so if you do say, well, actually we should be here but we're not playing here for some reason this is kind of where we should be um this combination of uh, this blend of different archetypes this is where we really want to be and this is where we believe we we are different but we're not there at the moment but actually it helps us to visually even track and monitor moving that dial the kind of blend of art and science because it is a sort of scientific approach in a lot of ways to looking at creativity it allows us to marry those two things up together. Um, and I think that's where it's that that's potentially where it could be very helpful in organisations as well, not just in marketing departments where you do want to either reposition the brand or you do want to take the brand on more of a journey towards something else. On that point, Natalie, there's a really interesting point that we did with the work with Imperial College London, because when I started this project, I never intended it to be like this big. Right. This was this was a personal lockdown project for just creating a bit of a database for me to to analyze stuff. And with the academic rigor that came in with Imperial College London, I have learned so much You know that I am not a, a, an academic. I love learning, but I'm not an academic. I don't pretend to be in that sense. And and the rigor that they came in and, and framed everything and helped me understand how to then look at this. So one of the things that we did very early on was make sure we had a map and, and they're basically needs based. So we what motivates human behavior is never a single need. So all the motivational theories from McClelland to Maslow's hierarchy says it's never a single need. It's always a blend, often opposing needs that come together that drive our behavior. Right. And that's what makes interesting when you've got these opposing needs. So what we wanted to do was create a map. And the beauty about a map is it. It starts to show you where you are, but most importantly, where you're not. Mm. And on the map, you see the neighbours who are closest. So a little bit like neural activity within the mind. You stimulate one area, let's say like the companion, but the neighbour to that is the caregiver. So naturally, you get an impact. If you're in the companion area, you will naturally get, if you want to do, a little bit of caregiver if you move down towards that area. But also the companion can move towards the lover archetype. So 
there's blends even in that one area. And and what's you you mentioned this area about everybody being the same. One of the key things that we've found is there's a thing called what we're calling sector narrative. So there's a narrative to the sector, which if you do not say that, again, this cognitive ease, people are going, but you're not of this. A car company cannot be seen to be not talking about electric vehicles, can't be talking about passion and speed, but also safety. Right. These are sort of fundamentals. And every sector you look at, there is this underlying elements. So what we actually find is that 80 percent are often similar. And it's the 20 percent and it's the way you blend them that makes you unique. If you blend these well, you say it well and that makes you authentic. And what we find is it's more important to be authentic than it is to be distinct. Authenticity itself is the route to engagement and a route to effectiveness as opposed to distinctiveness, which actually is contrary because people want to be able to quickly and easily understand it. And if you're too different, they have to work too hard. So it's finding actually the balance says we're in this sector, we're relevant, we understand it, but not so we'll tick that box. We were different in this way, but we're different because we understand and reflect your story. And what brands are doing is not telling their story. They're telling the customer's story. The customer sees them in their story and says, you are relevant to me. Brands, if they just keep thinking, I'm telling my story, people are not interested in your story. They're interested in their story. So what brands, powerful brands do really well is they tell these really rich, interesting stories that people connect to. And at one point, they may be talking about mental health. They might be talking about well-being and that. Next, they're talking about a software product. Next, they're talking about saving the planet. These are things that people get concerned with, whether it's on social media, whether it's in campaigns. And they're having to blend all of this together within an overall narrative. It is a challenge. We are, this is our expertise. This is what we do beautifully and we do it brilliantly. Right. And all of this modeling that we're doing, all of this understanding and pulling apart is, is what we do inherently. But by knowing it, we can actually then do it more powerfully. There's a, a lovely creative tool called De Bono's Thinking Hats, where you put on these different hats. Historically, there's always been 12. And, and let me say there are 12 archetypes. It was a lady called Carol Pearson, not Carl Jung, who developed the 12 archetypes. Um, Carl Jung talked about archetypes as the concept that these there were these archetypal patterns. And by the way, he had this lovely phrase which said, if you see an archetype just as a character, then it can mean anything and nothing at all at the same time. It's only when the archetype has this emotional feeling tone to it that it becomes relevant. And then an action pursues. And it is this fact that you're connecting action behavior with movement, with then emotion, with thoughts. And when all those trigger together. So that's why sound is becoming far more powerful in branding, because sound is a way to get people in more emotionally connected. And, and what we're also finding is that strong brands, what they do is they build these neural highways in us so that it becomes easy for them to trigger. They've created these paths. So they all they have to do is just ignite a small spark and it runs through us. 
Whereas other brands can say exactly the same thing. And this is where brand strength counts. They can say exactly the same thing. It doesn't have the same effect on us because it doesn't have that already embedded connectivity. You know, when we looked at your brand against competitors and, and we do that, one of the interesting things that we were looking at was finding what was in your history? What was the strength of that? And how do we blend the, the tradition and the heritage and the years with the modern relevance? And this is a, a challenge that many brands face. And they'll often ditch one for the sake of another. Or, or new brands come in and they're easy to be all excited and fresh. And how do we balance those things? And this is what brands have to do now. They have to tell a story, but it's not their story. It is the customer's story because the customer sees themselves. When we watch a movie, we're seeing ourselves. We're seeing ourselves as the hero, as we're seeing ourselves as the lovers, right? It's, we're learning about ourselves. And that's what great brands are doing now. They're not just selling these products, they're selling feelings. And those feelings help us learn. And the stories they tell help us learn, help us connect, help us reconnect with a community, a global community. And that's a lovely thing. And in a way, that's exactly what the CIM does. It, it does, it does. It's an interesting point about movies because the ones that were, the successful movies are the ones that we, in which we empathise with the characters to say we put ourselves in their shoes, we feel their emotions too. Not all movies do that, of course. There are plenty of crap ones around, but the ones that succeed do. But if you're taking that, Natalie Spear, and you're trying to, in many ways, reverse the polarity of the way people might think about brand building, it's not telling the public about what your brand is. It's asking what the public is to your brand, how they're in part of your brand. How on earth do you start that process with a marketing team? Richard Gillingwater has admitted it's not going to be easy. Nobody said it would be easy. Nobody said in the words of the song. Um, I, I think I think there's there's multiple different ways, actually. And I think lots of it's already happening. So I, I think in in terms of that pure data insight, we have been shifting, obviously, over the last, you know, probably 10 years to be um, much more customer centric. So a lot of the data we're starting to gather Insight is, you know, absolutely at the core. That research and insight piece is absolutely the core of every single marketer of understanding the customer. And in so many ways, connected and disconnected to this, you know, we are looking at um, getting more and more depth and insight into our customers than we've ever had before. So we 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 have that in our kind of kit bag and uh, tool, toolbox, as it were of marketing things that we we can play with. So we've got that bit more insight to at least start that journey and start having those conversations. Um, we see things, and I, I again, pick up with Rich in, in terms of authenticity. We've been having those conversations as marketers. You know, we we know as more channels have come become available to us, we know that that the things that really resonate with people are the storytelling. And actually, the things that resonate with people even more is, is the user-led content. So again, that kind of idea that, that, you know, customers are telling us their story and we're almost trying to play that back is already kind of in the narrative of what we're, what we're doing already anyway. And when you look at the difference between, you know, the tactical 
and that kind of type of delivery you see as a massive difference in in um, just pushing information out to people, telling them this is what we are, this is what we stand for, this is you know this is our brand, this is what you should think about us, is a very one-dimensional kind of approach to brands. So I think actually that listening post back to customers, you know, that that insight back to customers, really understanding our place in their world alongside the data creates a completely different relationship with the customer. And I think that that is already I think a lot of marketers already thinking that way. And I think a lot of marketing that is done well is already thinking that way. But it is it, it it does put a completely different spin on how we do things. So it's again, it's a mindset shift. You know, it's a um, it's a different way of working. And it's also um, potentially harder because it means that we have to kind of um, it's a two way conversation all the time. You know, listening to the market, listening to our customers, getting that feedback, understanding why we are important to them or are we important to them? What should we be doing to change that? So. You know, there's lots of different things at play and uh, and lots of different departments, actually, within organisations that feed into that. It's not just the marketing department. You know, those conversations are happening with the customer in customer experience departments. They're happening with our employees in in people and culture teams, you know. So it's not just a singular marketing exercise anymore. It's a much bigger piece and, and bigger consideration. One of the interesting things for me is this overload that we're, that all marketeers are suffering. Data here, analysis here, so much connection, so many things to do. You know, I remember going back many, many, many years and marketing seemed to be more of a graceful thing. Now it's very intense, very driven. And one of the fundamental or the fundamental thing in the work that we have been doing is about mindfulness. It's about being aware of how communication affects us. And what happens is that often when we're so busy that in, in our marketing jobs, we get caught in our head and we're thinking and we're getting into what um, you, you could say was a judgment mindset. You're feeling potentially judged, i.e., oh, I'm presenting this, what they're going to say about it. But you're also in this mindset of judging other people. Oh, I like that. And what you're not doing is getting into a feeling and recognizing how we do that. So one of the things I would love to, to, to feel comes out of this is not just that actually it opens up this underlying structure which sits beneath all our communication, but actually as communicators, we start to relearn the art of communicating, being feeling ourselves, taking time to recognize when we communicate, how does it make us feel? You know, OK, we might not know 100 percent how it's going to make someone else feel, but what's it triggering in us? And the only way we can do that is still the mind, because it's when we start to still the mind, we become aware of like, oh, I can feel it's doing that. There's a whole load of. Um, movement body awareness um, research that shows the connection so like for example when we hear our favorite music if we move to that we enjoy it more if we sing along we move to it, it creates enjoyment so what we look to do when we map things is we still the mind and then we aware of what's it triggering in us and that's a beautiful place because once you start doing that and you're tuning into that skill 
it makes what we do a lot more fun because it's like this whole body experience and it's not so cognitively tiring all the time. So I'd love that if that was just a byproduct of this, that we get back to being creative, get back to feeling it more, back to intuitive, trusting our gut feeling. We actually have three brains, right? I love this fact. We actually have three brains. We have the brain in our head, we have a brain in our heart and a brain in our gut. And through the vagus nerve, the gut speaks to the brain and influences it, floods it with stuff. And we need to listen to how communication is affecting our whole body, not just judging it. Because if we're judging it, we're actually not truly recognizing how it engages with people. It, it, it works at a deeper level than just cognitive judgment. I think that's a, I think that's a really, really important point. And actually, you touched on it there in terms of almost the responsibility factor, which I hadn't really considered until you just said it that, you know, we have become kind of um, almost overwhelmed with the sheer amount that we're consuming in terms of information and marketing messages and brand messages and things like that. And I think in terms of slowing that down, sometimes it gives us the space to breathe. But there is this almost, again, a slight mind mind shift that has to happen in organizations and departments and you know marketing teams and, and that that kind of almost constant consumption of things all the time is that the brain is constantly in that mode all the time in that doing mode yeah. yeah 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 so it needs to be i think we have a you know we have a responsibility i think as you, as, as you kind of pointed out as as marketers to kind of take that deep breath and actually get back to and i think that is the the, the bit that's missing now with the creativity is that we we rush to the creative. The creative sometimes can even be the afterthought rather than the start point. And unfortunately, what that, you know, the, the knock-on effect that that then has is that people aren't stopping to actually breathe and consider and really reflect on that as a kind of whole concept. They're just like you say, that it's a like, a share, a move on. It's the, yeah. it's a judgment call rather than a, a creative feeling or a, a something that actually evokes a, an emotion um we, and we're, we're not, not exactly and we're not giving our designers our comms people the skills to make those judgments that that are informed that they can go no i recognize these patterns and that's why we should do this whereas often it's just a judgment and if you've got nothing to say you're then influenced by somebody else and you know years ago in the creative industry creatives took time they had fun they played around but most importantly they trusted their gut they felt stuff right that feeling was really important and what feeling does is it it creates empathy it makes us listen to what communication is saying to us and we then have to become experts it's a little bit like henry ford said if you ask customers what they want just faster horses scenario that what we have to look is creatively find new ways to engage and blend. And we can't always do that from asking customers. What we have to do is trust our own feelings. And, and this tool is a way just to give us that skill. It, it, we look, we're the only um, system that I understand anyway in the world that has mapped 60 archetypal tones, right? If there's one thing I would love to do, is get rid of all those diagrams that show 12 archetypes where it goes, oh, Mercedes, the ruler, um, um, whatever brand is this archetype, as in like it's a binary, we're this, right? Just 
if that if that's in your collection, ditch it, please. If if you just get one thing out of this lesson, which is that whole circular framework of you know Harley Davidson is the rebel, right? It's so much more than just a rebel archetype, right? And and in fact, it has to be. It's got these fans who love it. They're passionate. They're seekers. They're travellers, right? There's so much richness to the to the Harley Davidson brand. It's not just a rebel. It's a component. But it's not that, right? So if anything, that 12 archetypal model of just this brand is this, we're this. I, I came across an agency said, that said British Airways, they're the explorer archetype. I was thinking, what basis is that? What, and actually, what do you mean by explorer? What, just because they travel, they're an explorer as opposed to a sage? I mean, how primitive is that as a concept, right? What, what we actually do is we look at what brands, good and bad, the intention was to map everything. And what we did was we mapped what they actually communicate, not what they, what people may think or say to try and put them in a box that makes it easy for marketeers or consultants to say, oh, you're this or you're that. And it's just this richness that they naturally do. And Ben, you know, we had that conversation right at the beginning, which was, oh, what, which one are we? And it's like, no, they're already doing this. People, you know, Natalie, you are already doing it in your team. You're already blending it. Everybody's doing that. We just, this is about pulling that science apart that informs us so we can be more creative in the way we find these blends, that we can trust ourselves, we can have more fun doing it. And it's just a more beautiful experience for communicating. Absolutely. Reconnecting to our emotions, building empathy and ditching static frameworks it probably is going to be a bit harder, at least for a while, but it's going to be much more rewarding, much better for our customers and, crucially, much more fun. Natalie Spearing, Richard Gillingwater, thank you very much indeed for your time today. I'm sure our audience will take a lot from this. and I want you both to come back on the show in a year and see how, as individuals and as an industry, we are getting on with reframing marketing in this way. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks Ben. Thanks, Natalie. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. CIM Marketing Podcast.